0: So let's get excited to talk to today's guest. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Episode 211 of Intermittent Fasting Stories. Today, I'm here with Emily Robertson. Emily lives in Little Rock, Arkansas, and she is a fiction writer. Nice to have you here. Welcome, Emily. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. I love the podcast. I'm so glad. Well, I love doing it. It's like I'm a very social person, but I'm at home by myself with my cats. And I know. That's the writer's life. <laughs> it's true, right? Yet I can have coffee with a friend because here I am. I've got my black coffee that I'll show it to you. I can see you. You can see me. You have to see my mug. Can you read it? It says, pour yourself a cup of ambition, Dolly. Oh, I love that. Do you see that mine is, it looks like Blue Willow, but it's really calamity wear.
1: Oh my gosh, I love it.
0: I love it too because I love Blue Willow. My grandmother always had Blue Willow. And so I I have all this like really fancy Blue Willow and other blue and white china. But this Calamity wear has like, it's got Bigfoot and dinosaurs and and robots. Yes, so it's like hidden calamities. And so I love it. It's a lot of fun. So I can be all prim and proper, but still, it's like, yeah, my mug has Bigfoot on it. Anyway, you know I would like to start by asking what brought you to intermittent fasting and when was that? So let's start there.
1: Sure. So it's kind of a crazy story. Okay. So in August of 2020, so during the pandemic, my husband works as a critical care doctor. So we had the chance to get involved in the trial for Moderna for the vaccine. So this is before the vaccine was available to everyone. They were doing it for people that worked at the hospital and then their families because we were the sort of right front line of potentially getting exposed to COVID. So I signed up for the Moderna trial. So I went in on like August 16th of 2020. And during the physical exam, the nurse practitioner felt a nodule, like a lump on my throat that I had had my my medical physical in February and that hadn't been anything there. So it it had happened that fast. So you had a nodule on your thyroid well it was just a lump on my throat it was really strange like you could only see it if i took my head back like this but you could feel it but we had never felt it because whoever feels the front of your neck i know it's just not a place yeah right and it was like weird and kind of soft so anyway they were like well we'll keep her in the trial because i am 47 and so it's super common for women as you get older to have things on your thyroid so they were like it's probably not a big deal but go get an ultrasound so go to the ultrasound and they're like, hey, it looks pretty good, but let's go to radiology, go to radiology. And they're like, seriously, because my husband works at the hospital, like I just talked about my books with the people like it was just chitty chatty. And they're all like, right. this looks totally normal, it looks totally fine. We're not worried. Somebody saw my husband at work and was like, it's not a big deal turned out no it was a cancer it was a wow. papillary thyroid cancer most of it was fine but there was like one place where they were like oh that's cancer so they right. went in on october it was so hysterical they called my, my gp was like let's do a telemedicine appointment on a friday and i was like oh yeah that's never good call you on a friday to say like it's not a big let's deal chat so, right no <laughs> Yeah. so they, said, they send you a
0: postcard for that yeah, they're exactly. like it's fine right but, exactly
1: right. <laughs> and so then they said it's suspicious for cancer i was like what does that mean suspicious for cancer so we went for the appointment like september 5th or something this is 2020 and the surgeon who's an, a wonderful guy there's a place here called car that's the cancer place and he was great and he was like no no it's cancer but if you have to pick a cancer this is the one to get like which I would not have picked any cancer, but this is the one to get. Like, it's not that
0: big a deal. I have heard that, but I feel like if they were saying that to me, I'd still be like, "Uh uh-uh, no. Yeah, I was (laughs) like, I would have chosen no cancer. Right. (laughs) On October 1st of 2020,
1: they did the surgery. Well, they went in there, and it was on two places on my thyroid, so they had to take the whole thing. So I I can see your scar. scar. Which I don't love. But I'm glad to have it because, you know, all the things. And then it had spread to a lymph node. So I had to do a radiation therapy. And I love science. You will love this. You will love this, Jen Stevens. The way they treat thyroid cancer is they give you radioactive iodine in a pill because your thyroid is the only part of your body that
0: holds on to iodine. Yeah, that takes it up and it's like, bam, it kills your thyroid, right? Right.
1: But for me, my thyroid was already gone. So what it was killing was... Any thyroid cancer that had spread anywhere, because there's still thyroid cells. Oh, that's so interesting! I do love that. You're right. I know you. I thought you would. So I didn't have to do a bunch of scans. All they had to do was have me take the radioactive iodine, and then any place where there was cancer, it took up the iodine because those cells were like, "That's what we do." That's what we do is hold on to iodine. It also meant I had to not be around my children for a week. After I'd taken it, because you're poisonous to children when you have radioactive iodine, because their thyroids will take it up by just by being around you, and then you could accidentally kill your th- children's thyroid, which... Yeah. My youngest is 10. He was... I guess he was 8 at the time, and being like, I can't actually touch you, baby, was very right. stressful. Stay away. I couldn't away. use the toilet that they would use. Wow. I couldn't prepare food where they might be, which is so crazy. But the thing that... I did not know is in between October 1st when I had the surgery and October, I took the radioactive iodine on October 22nd. You have to let your TSH levels get super, super, super high so that your thyroid cells are like begging for the hormones. So they'll take up all the iodine. Like it's almost like they made my thyroid cells go super crazy. So I got. Okay. So basically the doctor told me, Emily, you're not going to be able to sit down and write a chapter.
0: You're barely going to be able to get out of bed before we actually
1: do this because... Like
0: lethargy, brain fog, all of that.
1: Exhaustion. Like I couldn't walk a mile. Like I, I thought I just wanted to go outside and I was like, okay, I'm going to go on a walk. I had to sit down on the curb and I was like, my oldest was 16 at the time. And I was like, am I going to have to call him to pick me up? Because I can't walk a mile, which is crazy because normally like before... The pandemic, I was going Orange Theory like five days a week, which is a hit right. class. And I've always loved to walk. Like, I would walk for miles and miles. So it was really scary. But where all this ties into intermittent fasting, I'm sure everybody's like, how is this tie into intermittent fasting? <laughs> the
0: single biggest side effect of this surgery for people is weight gain. Right. Because you're you're not getting any thyroid hormone, too, because you're having to let that go down, yeah. right? Yeah. So I have struggled with my weight my whole life. I've
1: only been obese a couple times, but I've always been, I was that kid that was chubby. Like I've always been just across the line. Like even, I'm like you, I know you say this on the podcast where I can tell you what I weighed at different ages. And there's like two points right before my first kid, I'm five eight. And right before my first kid was born, I weighed like 135. And right when I was like 16 and I think I was just eating like Twizzlers and Diet Coke. Yeah. I was 135, but other than that, my whole life I've been in the 160s up to like 178, which is kind of where I would cross over into obese, and I kind of freak out, and I was up to 178 when we did the surgery, and so I was like, I can't, so what I did was I got really, really hardcore about calorie counting, because that's the only thing i ever known, and so I was like using my fitness palette and other things to calorie count, Jen, I was not eating anything 800 calories a day. Wow. I believe it. I didn't lose a pound. I didn't gain a pound, but I didn't lose a pound. And it was 800 calories a day. And I was like, I can't sustain this once I can move around. Like, it wasn't that big a deal then because literally I was like. Like, your metabolism was, like, shut down practically, right? I couldn't walk to the door. Like, my metabolism was almost shutting down. But when it started back up again, and I was also super self-conscious. I'm still a little self-conscious about the scar. But when I first got the scar, like having a scar, like where you have to see it. So my self image already had taken kind of a blow. And I was like, I cannot get any heavier. But I was like, the same as everybody who says on the podcast, like, I've been doing this my whole life. And the only way I ever was successful was by this such rigid calorie counting that you're almost like a crazy person. Like you're like, you can't because every single time, like, I would get to, 162 was always my number. I would get to 162, and then I would, like, go out to dinner with people. Like, my husband would be like, oh, we're going to go out to dinner with friends. Go out to dinner with people after, you know, a month of being like, right, you know. And then you get to 160, maybe 161 and a half, and then go out to dinner with people, and then I would be. It's not just I would be up to, like, 163. I'd be up to
0: 171. Right. It would pop, like, a lot of water retention and, yeah.
1: And then you're just like, I can't do this. And so here I was, like, I don't want to fight this fight anymore. And then I was listening to, I'm an author, so I listened to Joanna Penn's podcast. And I was listening to Joanna Penn's podcast for January 1st, her, like, year... In review or whatever. And she mentioned intermittent fasting and she mentioned you. And I was like, now I had tried the 5 2 like five or six years before. But I, and I know this happens to everybody. I mean, I got down to 162 on that. The problem was (laughs) I was doing the 500 calorie spread throughout the day. Oh, yeah. I was a crazy person. I was like, I can't do this to my family because by the time I was preparing dinner for them, I was like, So, I mean, mean. Mean.
0: I remember, too, one day I was doing it. It was before I knew anything about the clean fast, before the obesity code came out. It was way before that. So I remember I was doing that, and I was having a a down day, 500-calorie day. And I remember sitting on the couch with Chad, and he's eating tortilla chips. And I swear, I think I was like, let me lick a chip. I just want to lick it. I licked a chip, and then I wanted to punch him in the face.
1: Yes! that's how I felt. <laughs> My husband is built just like Chad from what you say. Right. I have three sons. They are all just like lean, lanky. Lean, lanky. Yeah. And they, gin. they eat all the time. They eat all the time. And this is the thing that I totally love about the UBC Code when we get to that and all that stuff. For years, I've been saying, like, people say calories in, calories out, or Weight Watchers, or whatever. And I'm like, no, no, no. When you lay next to my husband after Thanksgiving, he is hot, right? Like, he is burning off excess calories. Like, his body clearly, he weighs the same as he weighs when we started dating in 1996 when he was 19,
0: Yeah, there's a study, I talk about it in Feast Without Fear. That's my second self-published book, and it's lesser known. Have you read Feast Without Fear? I have
1: not, but it's on my list, actually, because— Okay,
0: well, in that book, I have a study that I talk about that they did with— What was it? It's been so long. I think it was identical twins, and they overfed them. They, like, calculated, first of all, what their their maintenance range of calories was. They calculated that for everybody, and then they overfed them all by the exact same amount of calories. And so if calories in, calories out math worked, they would all have gained exactly Exactly the same amount of weight. Right? Right. But they didn't. Some people gained a ton of weight, like way more than the extra calories would have predicted. Some people gained very, very little. And there was little correlation between anyone in the study except from twin to twin. Right. Like the twins had similar kind of – but it was fascinating. And you read stuff like that and you're like, well. Yeah. (laughs) So I heard –
1: Joanna's podcast, and I was just like, I'm all in. So I bought Delay, Don't Deny, like, right away because she, on her podcast, she was pretty clear, lead with gin. So I bought Delay, Don't Deny right away and then went to Jason Fung's YouTube, watched that refrigerator one, for anybody who's just starting out and fasting,
0: Google Jason Fung, the refrigerator hypothesis. Our analogy, the refrigerator and the freezer. Can you remember it enough to paraphrase it? If you Absolutely. can, I can. Yeah. All right, paraphrase that for
1: everybody. So the idea is, which I am telling people all the time, because people think this is so crazy, and this analogy seems to really help people. Okay, It does. So if you have a refrigerator in your house, let's say you have a refrigerator and it's full of food, and then you have a freezer that's full of backup food. If there is food in your refrigerator, you are never going to go to the freezer because the freezer's down in the basement. You're not going to go down there. You're just going to eat from your fridge. But when your fridge is empty, then you'll be like, oh, guess I'll go to the freezer. That's our body and our fat. Our fat is, uh, the
0: whole point of our fat is it's stored fuel. That's, that's the whole reason we have it. I mean, that's it. That's the only reason for it. If you keep your fridge fully stocked, which in this analogy is eating frequently throughout the day like we were trained to do, then you never have to go down to that freezer in the basement. So you have to get your refrigerator down. That's what the fasting does. The fasting empties the refrigerator and there's nothing there. So you have to go to the basement, get the fat from your freezer.
1: And I think one of the things that I love about that analogy that I haven't heard anybody talk about is it hits on something that I really noticed for myself and for a lot of people. There's a real fear of being hungry. Like people are really afraid what's gonna happen. And that basement analogy works for me too because I know that like my grandparents had a really scary farm basement, you know, one of those where it's like, (laughs) you were not going to go down there. I don't want to go down there. But sometimes you just (laughs) had to go down there. And then now I can go down there and be like, oh, it's just a basement. There's nothing scary here. It's just a storage space. And so I think there's a lot of people that are terrified of being hungry without realizing
0: like there's lots of things that don't work for everyone, but everyone will be able to access their stored fat. That's the whole idea. Let your body adjust. Let your body build up those fat-burning enzymes fast. Deplete your liver glycogen. You will get there. You
2: will
1: get there. It may take a while. That's the thing. So I will say, okay, so I started fasting on January 6th of 2021. So
0: I am basically at my, just past my fasting anniversary. And by the way, your podcast comes out in August. August 4th, so you will be way past it by the time this comes out, but we're recording in February, so you have just passed your one-year fast anniversary. Congratulations.
1: Yay! Yes, I'm just totally loving it. So I read your book, like, lightning fast. I read The Obesity Code. I know some people don't like the science, but I'm married to a physician, and I was fascinated, and I thought, if you have any doctors in your life... Jason Fung's book is, like, the most useful one to show them because his science is so solid. Because in training, they tell them nothing. That's true. They tell them nothing about diet. They tell them nothing about anything. I think my husband has watched me struggle with this our whole married life and always just been like, I don't know, babe. Eat less, move more. Eat less, move more. But, and the thing is that's so hard about that and, like, being in this house full of boys is, like, if I ate – the way that they do, I would weigh 300 pounds. Like, absolutely, unquestionably, I gained 20 pounds my senior year in college because I decided to do an experiment of eating the same as the skinny girls I lived with. Oh, wow. Did not work. I mean, I was kind of depressed, too, like, (laughs) the whole thing. But I was like, this isn't fair. I was stuck on the this isn't fair part. And so I was like, if they're going to eat Doritos, I'm going to eat Doritos. And you know what? They look just the same as they did when they started, and I gained 20 pounds.
0: That is so true. I remember being a teacher and sitting there in the teacher workroom watching my skinny friend, my beautiful skinny teacher friend, wonderful teacher, eating her, you know, Fast food breakfast that yeah. she brought in with her. I'm and like, well, if she's gonna eat a fast
1: food breakfast, I'm gonna eat, a, I'm fast gonna food eat a fast food breakfast. And what I think is really unfair about the medical stigmatizing of, which I think there's a ton of stigma in.
0: Oh yeah, medicine. people who are overweight, there's something people wrong with you. And you're weak, and yeah,
1: and but no one looks at how thin people eat. No one's looking at how thin people eat, and you know how thin Americans eat? The same as all the other Americans. Yep, you know, like my kids. If I let them, they just take carbs all. Like we have some rules. Like we have, to, you have to eat five fruits and vegetables in our house. Like to get dessert. But like our freezer is full of ice cream. If you open our freezer, it's just ice cream across the bottom. Like the older boys are seventeen and fifteen. Like there's just ice cream in our house. Like goldfish things like this. Yeah. And like my oldest son is six five and weighs one hundred and seventy pounds. Wow. <laughs> one hundred and eight. Maybe he's up to one hundred and eighty. Like. Probably
0: he doesn't want me to say that. But anyway, well,
1: he's not going to listen to this podcast. No, he
0: won't know. He'll never know. No one will tell him. They don't even struggle at all. There's no, yeah. And that has never been true for
1: me. I've been chubby. I was chubby in the third grade. I mean, I think I got chubby in first or second grade. Like, I was always taller. I was always chubby. Like, anyway, so. You read the Obesity Code. Read the Obesity Code and just, I read Fast Feast Repeat super fast. And I I mean, I read Both of them twice, like just in quick succession, just like bang, 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 bang. And then I started fasting. And so I started fasting January 6th. I was looking and I think I had a memory of the first time that I could taste ketones. Oh, yeah. So how long? Because it was hard. You said it was going to be hard and it was hard. The sixteenth of January was the first day I tasted keto. That's pretty good though. Yeah. Like ten days. Ten days. So what I started with was skipping breakfast was my start. So I just really kind of did what you suggested in Fast Feast Repeat and just do it slow and don't Don't stress. And right. weigh and measure and take some pictures. Don't stress, but just like and because for me, my big thing was, I didn't go in really imagining that I would get under that 162. I'd kind of like, which for me is super interesting to me. That is a BMI of like 25.1. I could like not right above the right overweight above. mark, right? I got pretty fit before my third son was born. So I would say like, but fit, like exercising all the time. And I think I had gotten to like 158 or something. But then he was born and I was so careful in that pregnancy. That's just the thing, y'all. Like I only gained because I was 38 when I was pregnant with him. And I was like, I can't because the older boys, I was 30 and 32. And I was like, whatever. But that difference in being 38, like I could definitely feel it. And I was like, I can't have an extra 30. So I only gained 30 pounds with that pregnancy. Like I was like so careful. Like I didn't, I, mean, I did get Chick fil A peppermint shakes, but not all the time. You know, like I'm so careful and walking while I was eating them. And <laughs> so careful. And I got down to like that 174 kind of after he was born. So in the 10 years after he was born, I had never been able to be below 162. And I hit 162. Basically around right now, like right around February 1st. And I have not been over that
0: since then. Awesome. So February 1st of 2021. 2021. You hit 162.
1: Yeah. And I haven't gone over. Now, I have not. I'm hanging out about 157, 155. I would happily drop another five. I liked what I looked like in the 140s. But I totally have the body recomposition. Right. I can wear a bunch of stuff that I could wear. There's one pair of jeans that I had at 135 that I still can't get in. But the big thing is for me is that I love lunch. I love going to lunch with people. What I try to do is sort of a modified ADF if I know I'm going to go to lunch with someone because I don't have, I know you have that problem with a 500 calorie meal, like that it doesn't feel satisfying. I can enjoy a 500 calorie meal if I seriously bulk it up. Like I'll do like, Here's a great thing that you can do for everybody who's struggling with 500-calorie meal. Let's say you had like, a rice casserole right, or something like that with cream and cheese and chicken and all that stuff in it. If you take a quarter cup of that and then fill the rest with, like, riced cauliflower. Okay. So fill your bowl with riced cauliflower. Take a quarter cup of the whatever the thing is that's rich and dense that you love. You can actually
0: do it, like, with squash and lasagna or... So instead of riced cauliflower, you could mix something with squash.
1: Right. You could put squash. Yeah. If you're making lasagna, get like a – it looks like a ridiculously small amount. But if you mix it in with – like take the casserole example. You take that quarter cup of casserole, you mix it in a big bowl of rice cauliflower, and then you microwave it, and you stir it all up. It really
0: does – feel like you're eating an enormous bowl that makes sense you're bulking it up with the very low calorie vegetable right but you still get all that taste yeah that's a great suggestion so that's what you do if you're having a down day a 500 i'm having calorie a down, down day, day. A 500 calorie
1: mm-hmm. day and i only do a 500 calorie day if i know i'm going to lunch with someone that makes sense so I was doing, like, before Christmas, I was doing pretty solidly 5-2, and I got down to 152. But then Christmas happened, and windows lengthened, and so I don't think I'll have any trouble going back to that right now. But I'm, right now I'm hanging out about 157. But the biggest thing for everyone is I have not been over that 162 number in over a year That's amazing because that was, like, where you would always yo-yo back up from there. Always stop. Yeah. And the biggest thing, too, more than anything, like, I went to the doctor the other day because I have to go to the doctor now all the time to get checked, make sure this doesn't come back. Right. They weighed me with my shoes on. I didn't care. I didn't care. Just the liberation of being, like, I'm standing on this scale with my shoes on, and I weighed you know, one sixty five because I had on my shoe. I think I had my purse on, <laughs> like, I right? Was like, <laughs> but my whole life before then, I would be like taking my shoes off and right. like doing all this stuff because it it felt so bad to see that number. Like when you weigh with clothes on, if you've been weighing, you know, at home in the morning, and then you're like, oh, this doctor scale. Although my favorite story about that, Jen, I love this story. So I went one time to get insurance physical. Yeah. You know, for life insurance. And it was one of those places where it was just set up in like a little storefront place. And you go in and there was a, a nurse there and she weighed me and I came in at 175. It was one of those times where I got in. I knew I was creeping up, but I hadn't really weighed at home. And I got totally spooked. Like, are they going to not insure? You know, you get in your right head. Is my insurance rate going to be higher? Whatever. This lady goes 175? That's amazing. Yay, 175. And I was like, oh, I wish I could have you like in my kitchen. 175? All the time. Yeah. That's amazing.
0: You know, I, I mean, like, she sees a lot of things. So yeah, you know that. exactly. Yeah. And
1: I was like, okay, <laughs> good reminder. And I know like, I can talk about this a lot of people in my family have really struggled with their weight. And so I know that for like my grandmother, 175 would have been they sit around the kitchen joyfully and I totally know that a lot of people listening to the podcast have that struggle. Well, that's true. But I do think that for me the only way I ever control my weight in the past was by being kind of almost a crazy person. And so just being able to just not it's like a a war I've been fighting my whole life is over.
0: It's over. That's true. It's done. That is absolutely true. And you don't have to stress or freak out no. or worry. Or you just, you can have the lunch one day. Yeah, You can either have a down day the day before or not. Or yeah. not. Because the other thing is I feel
1: completely confident that, like, I've got this. I actually just stopped. I had been calorie counting the whole time. Like, just, I was saying it was for data. and I, But I think I was really afraid of letting go of it. And I... yeah. Just stopped calorie counting a month ago. so Because I know what a 500-calorie meal is now. Right. It's easy. Yeah. And the thing about it is, it does not have to be exactly 500 calories, y'all. It just needs to be, like, small. Right. Or, like I'm saying, super bulky. So were you calorie counting on every day? I was, just because I had for so long. Yeah, I get it. And it took me a long time to let go of it, obviously, because I'm telling you I only let go of it recently. But we took my oldest son up to visit... He's going to go to the University of Arkansas at Fayetteville. But we went to visit last spring, so his junior year. And we went out to eat. I took the kids out to eat. So I'd had a down day the day before, like the 500-calorie day to the day before. And then I took the kids to Fayetteville, and we did, like, burgers for lunch. I mean, I think I ran. I looked at home, like, from counting. I think I ate, like, 3,000 calories that day. Yeah. (laughs) And then the next day was a down day. And then the next day I was down, like, two pounds yeah it is so obvious to me that like the calories are actually not useful data because who would have guessed that like i came home from eating like hamburgers and french fries and all these things, and then was down the next day.
0: Yep, because our bodies sometimes will have that whoosh effect. What happens is when you have been eating, you know, like dieting, dieting, or whatever, just put it in the framework of eating less, and then you kind of have a blowout day, your body will have to pull in excess water from your cells to process all that extra food. Right. So you actually will whoosh out some water weight. And so that's why people are like, I had this, you know, I don't like the word cheat day, but I'm going to use it because that's how people usually, like, I had a cheat day and then I lost a lot of weight. Well, it's that whoosh. Yeah. Because you had all that water just flush right out of your system. from it. I'm actually puffy right now. I just got back from the beach. I haven't weighed, but I need to have a whoosh.
1: <laughs> okay, so this is what's so hard for people. Mm-hmm. I have never been able to trust my body. I haven't. Like, I have this memory. I know we've all probably, everybody listening to the podcast have had this. Okay. So, I have this memory of being in the probably fourth or fifth grade. And it was like a church thing where you went and like talked to a mentor. So, I'm at fifth and sixth grade. I'm like at a youth group thing, is at someone's house. And she had set out those tag along Girl Scout cookies. Yes. Jen, I remember eating the whole box and I couldn't stop. I knew she was looking at me. I knew that, like, it was bad. I could not
0: stop. Like, I couldn't. Now, let me tell you a story like that about me. You know, I was always really skinny in high school. I was really, really skinny. So, I had zero connection with guilt from overeating. Yeah. Like, I can remember one time going to a, a church carnival, like, for Halloween or something. I ate four hot dogs. <laughs> And I'm like, I ate four hot dogs. Woo! Like, it was exciting that I ate four hot dogs. I, mean, I wasn't, like, punishing myself or feeling guilty. But I remember when I was in maybe 10th grade, I ate an entire box of Thin Mint Girl Scout cookies. I But I didn't feel any guilt. But I was skinny. Yeah. Oh, totally. So. And I, I know my
1: kids would totally do that. Like, the box of yeah. Thin Mints goes so fast in our house. Because my sister and I were chubby as little kids. And this is where I think it's interesting, the crossover between what's psychology and what's insulin. And I think it's a mix because my parents kind of freaked out about us being heavy. So they really limited sweets in the house. So if there were sweets or chips in the house, we would eat them all. We would like hide and eat them. We did all that. So our house here, there's like, it's a buffet. I mean, I do have, like, we talk about what a serving is. Like, that's what we started with the kids, just talk about what a serving is. And also that it's not nice to the other people in your house if you eat all the Girl Scout cookies because there's. Right. But there's no shame attached to. Right. Like, you ate too too many cookies. But for me, the thing was realizing that I couldn't, I literally did not feel like I could stop. And I think that is totally, like, I was uh, watching one of the kids, we were at a birthday party and I was watching all the kids are playing and I had this whole table of food, you know, and like snacks and stuff. And most of the kids were in the pool. And this one little girl, she just kept going back and kept going back and kept going back. And she had that body type. And I swear, I think it's an insulin thing. I really, really do. Like I, we've built it all wrong because like how we think about that stuff, because that food tastes equally good to everyone but everyone else at that birthday party is in the water playing with their friends and
0: she's obsessed with the food and she's
1: obsessed with the food but i think like based on like what jason funk talks about with the hunger study with those people when they the starvation study when people's bodies are starving they're obsessed with food like and so i just think for me number 1 there's nothing wrong with me it's not shameful it's not like in high school go out with friends And I used to look at the people that could leave french fries on a plate. Be like, how? Like, I'll eat those. Like, I would finish my friend's french fries. Right. And that has been true, like, my whole life. To not eat someone's french fries was like, oh, okay, okay, I'm not gonna eat her fries. I'm not gonna eat her fries. Jen, it's gone. Yeah? It's gone. I can look at someone else's, I can go out with friends. Like, I met a friend for lunch. Day before yesterday, she was running a little late. They set a basket
0: of chips in front of me.
1: I didn't eat them until she got there.
0: You're like, yeah, that's fine. You're right. That is very striking. Will and I were just at the beach. I just said we were at the beach. And there's this place I love to go because they have great burgers. And I think I'm never going to eat their fries again. They really make my stomach hurt. Something about their oil. I texted Sherry, who's my co-host on Life Lessons. She and I have been to this restaurant. They have great burgers. But I was like, oh, Will and I just ate at that restaurant. Now my stomach really hurts. She's like, didn't it hurt last time? I mean, she's a good yes. friend, right? I'm yes. Like, yes. Yes. Why are you saying yes. that? I'm like, I'm learning my lesson. But we got a basket of onion rings and a basket of cheese fries with bacon and oh, jalapeno. Yes. And both of us, we ate like a couple of onion rings and a little bit of the fries. It was enough to make my stomach hurt. But right. like, I could feel it move completely through my system all the way. That might be might be TMI. No, but no. Like, I totally know that like, feeling. It like, hurt my oh, stomach. Dear. It hurt my intestines like I felt it all the way through. And so I'm like I really cannot eat that kind of fried food there anymore. I just can't. But the burger I is fine, but it's just those fries. But even before my stomach hurt, we we're like, eh. yeah, both of us just left them. Just We didn't and I feel like we had them. to eat them all.
1: Yeah. I did not grow up in the clean plate club. It is not I think that I just think it's insulin resistance. I really really do that thing where you feel like you have a a second stomach for sweets like no so uh, just to not have it is like I can never thank you enough well thank you it's freedom right it's freedom it's like complete freedom and I feel like it's so wild to be like oh I'm 48 years old I weigh 157 pounds and like I could weigh this forever like I don't no stress don't stress it don't A couple things that people have talked about on the podcast that I wanted to make sure to hit on because I know people struggle with this. Like, one of the things is, like, baking for my kids. Mm -hmm. I can totally now bake for my kids and not eat all the cookies. I can bake for my kids and not eat the dough. Now, with these boys in this house, it means if I'm going to have a cookie later, I have to hide it. I get that, yeah. Because they will eat them all. This is going to be mine. I'm going to eat it later. Right. I'll put it I, somewhere they can't when see it. my window opens. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. like, it by no means impacted at all my ability to, like, make fun things for them or... Because that was always part of my fear. Like, the times where I did manage to, like, just by the skin in my teeth get to that 162 number, I would have to like not bake. And I would have to not make like Kraft macaroni and cheese or something that my kids really love, but that I was like, I can't. Something like that, I'm going
0: to eat a lot of it. You couldn't trust yourself not to just go crazy with it. And yeah, I get it.
1: And now it's just like, I can make it. I can eat it. I can leave it. I can
0: just all of that is really, really great. But that's the main thing. So tell me what you're, you you mentioned before, people always like to know what your approach is. So it sounds like you do kind of a hybrid approach. Like you will throw in a down day when when you know the next day is going to be a two meal day. So you'll throw in a down day, then you'll have a two meal day. But then other days, what do you do?
1: I have really stopped eating lunch altogether at home. So I work from home. I'm a writer, like Jen said. And I realized when I read the obesity code, I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, I used to have those, you know those little baby tomatoes? Yes. So I would have those little baby tomatoes on the counter. And every time, Jen knows this because of writing, every time I would get, like, a little stalled or a little whatever where you're like, oh, I don't really know what I'm going to write next, I would get up and go in the kitchen and have a baby tomato and come back. And I thought, how could this be any big deal? It's, like, one baby tomato. (laughs) And now I realize, like, oh, no, I was just spiking my insulin. All day long. One baby tomato at a time. And sometimes I'd have a baby tomato and a baby bell cheese. That's delicious, but, like, all day long. Just spike, spike, spike. So I have found now that if I'm not going to lunch with friends, I'll just wait and eat
0: at dinner. Yeah, that's the, the easiest thing to do, especially when you're writing.
1: Yeah, because then I don't have to stop. I totally find. I will say though, okay, this is really important that I wanted to tell people. Okay, I had a little trouble with some muscular stuff after the surgery because your your thyroid just is impacted with your parathyroid, which has like does a lot of your metabolism of calcium and magnesium and stuff. So I was having a little trouble with cramping. Right. So they put me on a magnesium supplement, which is fine, but I have to take it with food. It makes my stomach upset to not take it with food. So, And I have to take the thyroid medicine in the morning. So what I have been doing is I eat when I take the magnesium, but I eat, you guys, this is so useful. I eat the tiniest amount of Greek yogurt and berries. And for me, you know those little sample, the little ones you can get at the store? I'm eating a fourth. That claims it's a serving, like of that, I love that fage, Mm F-A-G-E, phage, Greek yogurt, no sweeteners. I think you say fage,
0: that's right, I think that's how you say it right, yeah. That's
1: what, I think that's right. There's no sweeteners in it, there's no, but it's the full fat one. It's just Greek
0: yogurt. Mm -hmm. It's just
1: Greek yogurt, it's the full fat one. I take that tiny little thing and I do it in four, so I'm eating a fourth, so it is less than a quarter cup of Greek yogurt. And some berries, and I will eat that when I take my medicine. And so it. I know it, it's disrupting the fast a little bit. But I think for people to know, if you're going to do that, you may
0: not be able to do the Greek yogurt. What you want to test is, are you hungry in an hour? Or does it make you shaky? If it makes you shaky or starving, you definitely can't do it. Yeah.
1: So I thought I would try some whole wheat toast because there's a bakery by us that makes this really great nine-grain, seven-grain whole wheat toast. Nope. Nope. Can't do the toast. I was, like, starving in an hour.
0: 30 minutes. So yeah, that's a great tip because there are people who have to take medication and you have to take it during the fast and you just absolutely have to. And yes, eating does break the fast, but you want to pick something that's going to disrupt it the least and that's what you have to do. And then your body can process that little tiny bit and then get back into the fasted state. It's not like you're drinking a cup of coffee with milk in it for an hour. It's just a tiny little blip. This podcast is supported by FedEx.
3: or text Wondery Pod to 500-500.
1: So I titrated it. Like, how small of an amount can I do to not have the magnesium give me a stomach ache? And so it's working great. And I feel like just for those people, because I'm sure there are people who have been listening to your podcast, and they're like, well, I can't do it because I have to take medicine. Well, this totally has worked for me. And I I know
0: there's no fasting police people. There's nobody that's going to come and be like, knock, knock, knock. Like you have to take that medicine and you you don't want to take that on an empty stomach. So you need to have something. So it's just one of those things. You're not like trying to cheat the system.
1: (laughs) But the other thing is, is that I then on the days where I'm not meeting someone for lunch, where I'm not having... Or in where I didn't have a down day the day before, I don't eat again until I start making dinner at four. And I am totally fine. Like, th- And that I think is the thing that
0: is the most surprising to me that like it would be totally fine. Yeah, that's amazing. And then you just you feel great and you can do workout, do you exercise? I know you mentioned you had been before your thyroid. I don't work out as hard as I did
1: before the pandemic. I just cannot make myself work hard when there's not someone telling me to do it. I I can't. But I do a yoga video every day, and I try to take a walk every day. So I actually think I'm in better shape than I was before because you can't exercise out of a diet, as they say. Well,
0: and also the whole – the way that that fasting is, so preferential fat burning. You know, you're really burning that fat, and so you're – you're fitting into clothes that you fit in when you were, you know, weighed less on the scale. Yeah.
1: Oh, totally. So I wanted to tell but there's a couple of things I wanted to make sure to hit people. Okay. My waist has lost five inches. Wow. My hips have lost five inches. My thighs have each lost three inches in a year. Wow. Like I'm saying, I'm barely exercising people. Like I just I can't get over it. And then I know you always ask about family members. So, my sweet aunt, I have to make sure I mention her because she loves the podcast. So, Aunt Jeanette, hi. She loves the podcast. She's so excited that I'm on here. So, my grandmother and my aunt always had the body type that was like mine. Like, they were chubby as girls, they were always struggle with their weight. And so I always really identified with this aunt of mine because her daughters did not struggle with their weight. They were a lot more active. They have the same body type that I have, but as kids, they were a lot more active. Like I didn't play any sports or anything, and my cousins did. So I wonder if that in some way was protective for them. I don't think my aunt played a lot of sports as a kid. But anyway, so she started fasting in July. She July of 2021, she
0: is down 55 pounds. Oh, wow. And just to reiterate, we are recording this in February. So she's lost 55 pounds between July and February.
1: I told her about, we went to visit for the 4th of July, and I told her about intermittent fasting. I told her about you. I told her about the podcast. And I mostly told her about the freedom. Mm -hmm. Because she has been fighting this fight, you know, she's 25 or 30 years older than I am. So she's been fighting this fight since she was a little girl. And I was like, just try it. So she's on the OMAD. She's in your groups. Her A1C is way down. She was, you know, going into diabetes. But the biggest thing was that my grandmother, my sweet, sweet grandmother, had Lewy body dementia. Okay. Which they think is, you know, tied to all these, you know, the inflammation and everything. And so my aunt's big goal is beating the dementia. My grandfather was a recovering alcoholic. So my grandmother was super active in Al-Anon. And I remember talking to her because she— would talk to me about weight stuff just because it had always been her struggle, too. And she would talk about the ways, to her, that it was like alcoholism. But her problem, she used to say, what are you supposed to do? You can't stop eating. You have to eat. You have to eat. So it can't, you know, you can not abstain from alcohol. You can't abstain from food. And I tried, like, five or six years ago, that whole 30 thing where you right eliminate, it's a big elimination diet. I tried it. I go crazy. Like when you tell me that I can't eat something, there is something in my brain that just goes wackadoo. Like it's I like a balloon. It. It's <laughs> like when you push a balloon down and you push a balloon down and you push a balloon down and then it like Go, you know. Yeah. So I stopped drinking artificial sweeteners about six years ago because I found out they were giving me migraines. And so stopping doing that was super easy because I was like, they give me migraines. You don't even like them. Now I look at them and I'm like, I, somebody's like, oh, that's got a diet. I'm like, I'm not letting it touch my lips because I lose my peripheral vision and then I get floaters and then I have a migraine. I'm like, uh. no, I'm not doing that. And so, if I could have gotten my head around like reading the obesity code where he talks about sugar, if my brain had been able to make the leap of like, sugar really is poisonous, like we shouldn't eat it, blah, 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 maybe that would have worked for me. We used to have these friends in Chapel Hill. We lived in Chapel Hill, North Carolina for a while where their kids weren't allowed to eat sugar. And their kids would come in our house and fill their pockets with granola bars. They were just getting the sugar. They would. Take granola bars out of our house. And so I just knew watching that, my own childhood, that there's no way I was going to have a sugar free house.
0: I'm not, I just, like, everybody has their own stuff. Like, you don't want to have that forbidden kind of a thing because yeah. that makes it have an appeal. Like, I remember before I was old enough to drink, before I was 21, like, alcohol had a different appeal than once you hit 21, you're like, oh. No, it's legal. It's, it's, it's like that forbidden. Yeah, somebody said
1: one time, your desire for candy is inversely proportionate to your ability to buy it. Like a five-year-old's candy desire is like, please, all the candy. 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 Yeah. And then once you can buy it, you're like, oh, okay. I'm just, I, don't,
0: <laughs> I don't care.
1: Not as interested, yeah. The point is that my grandmother used to say, like, she could acknowledge the parts that being sort of addicted to food or using food to manage your feelings was playing. In addition, I don't think she knew about the insulin response. I think she was really thinking from an, an addict kind of yeah. Al-Anon point of view about the addictive parts of it, but she couldn't see a way through. And I just think like, I wish um, my aunt and I were talking the other day. like, I wish we could have offered this to my grandmother. Like, I think she would have immediately been like, Oh, I totally understand it. Because it's not abstaining. It's just putting food in its place. Right? You're delaying. You're delaying. And it's not taking away any of the joy. It's not taking, like, I still get to make those recipes that she made. And I still get to enjoy feeding my family. And I still get to do all that stuff. It's just, it's put it in a place where it can be like all the other things we enjoy. Like, it's like anything. Like, if you watch a Netflix show in the evening with your family, it's great. If you just give up your life because you're just watching Netflix, like, well, it's kind of gotten. That's not a
0: good thing. It's
1: grown out of proportion. But that doesn't mean Netflix is bad. It just means it it grew out of. You can't do it all the time. You yeah, you need, the time. You, right, exactly. you need window. a Netflix window. Right, exactly. You a Netflix window. But I've been so pleased that, like, my aunt is doing it. Some other members of my family are doing it. So. That's very exciting.
0: It really is exciting. And I, I love that you were able to bring that to your aunt yeah. and help her to have that freedom. Well, that is really exciting. She's done great then. Yes, and she's done OMAD. But what's so funny
1: is my cousins called and they were like, mom's just eating dinner. And I, I had the whole backup of your science and I gave the refrigerator analogy because people get really freaked out about the idea that you would just eat dinner. Yeah, that sounds weird. Yeah. What have you done? <laughs> well, which here's what I think is so crazy is like there's so much concern and I have gotten a little bit of this. People get super concerned about an eating disorder. And I'm like, Right. Okay, so wasn't just eating
0: Twizzlers an eating disorder like <laughs> Twizzlers and Diet Coke or like your fewer than eight hundred calories a day every day. Yeah. So I would be thin like that was like kind of disordered, not to downplay eating disorders, but I, th- which I know are very well, serious. No, no. I am a hundred percent certain that I ha- had disordered eating when all those diet years. And now I have the best relationship with food that I've ever had in my life. And so I know I had a disordered relationship with food. And I think a lot of people listening, we're not making light of it. We felt it. It felt disordered. That's how, you know, fasting is not an eating disorder because for the first time in your life, you don't feel
2: disordered. No, You know no it disordered. when you feel it.
1: In the freedom of, like, looking at my body as a partner in this instead of being my enemy. Like, I can listen to it. You say, and I totally agree with this for people, there are some days where I'm just hungrier in my window. Mm-hmm. And I could say to my body, you're hungry. Let's eat. That's totally fine. Like, I love listening to the podcast. When I listen to the podcast, you can still hear people with that thinking of, like, bad food good food so to me like my big insight for myself is like if when i eat a food like for example you ask how people's tastes have changed i have realized that like for example i cannot eat a runny egg really it gives me serious digestive problems but i did not know before that a runny egg or an aioli sauce i didn't know that that was why i just knew that periodically i would like not feel great and have some and digestive you know it's things. And now And now I know it's a runny egg. Well, I'm sad for you because I love a runny egg. And I love I a always. runny egg. I know. I'm like so disappointed because. Well, I can't eat the fries. Yeah. So I get it. You know when they, they do that Asian thing where they like, well, you get like an Asian bowl where there's an egg on the top and you stir. Yes. I love the. I'm like. Me too. Do, I can't do oh, it anymore. I'm sad. I can eat eggs. But just not runny. I just can't eat an undercooked one. And I can eat if. Someone tempers it. Okay. If you cook it, you know, the way they'll, like, temper an egg, I can eat that. But I just can't eat, like, a, a runny, raw yolk. A runny, raw egg yolk. But that, to me, is, like, being able to nail down.
0: Like, what are the things that, after I eat them, I feel bad? Yeah. As an adult, don't eat them or you do and you text your friend and she's like yeah don't eat those fries yeah. i already knew that yeah. so I'm like thank you <laughs> but it's like that thing i was talking about with it moves
1: those things into the diet coke category like i was saying where it's like so i was starting to get migraines this is years ago like 7 or 8 years ago like i said and my dad gets them and my husband was like let's send you to neurology and just make sure it's not any of the terrible thing that's always having a doctor husband he'll always be like you're fine you're let's fine you're out. fine yeah. or oh, that thing is really scary. So we'll go. So I went to see neurology, and they were like, we don't know. They prescribed the medicine, all that stuff. Well, I was talking to my dad, and he's like, I get migraines. They're always triggered by our artificial sweetener. And and I was addicted to Diet Dr. Pepper. And so Mm -hmm. the thought of giving it up, I was like, oh, I really don't want to. And I think this is what happens to people sometimes. I was like, I don't want to try giving it up. Because if it turns out to be that, then I won't be able to have that anymore. Right. And I think what people don't understand is that once I figured out that that's what it was, my relationship with Diet Dr. Pepper is completely transformed. Like, I don't want it. Because you don't want to have that headache. I don't want that headache. Like, I did a test. I was like, okay, I'm going to drive through Chick-fil-A. I'm just going to get the Splenda Lemonade. Like, I love an Arnold Palmer, so I'll just get the Lemonade with Splenda and the... And so I drove through. I took a sip of it, and I was pulling out of the thing, and my peripheral vision went. Ooh! And I was like, "Yeah, uh, you people can't see on the podcast." It narrowed, and I was yeah. like, "Oh, that's it. That's I'm." I didn't have any more. Thankfully,
0: it recovered, but it just closed it up. Wow. Well, we are almost out of time. What would you tell someone just starting out with intermittent fasting, or what do you wish you knew when you first started in like one minute or less?
1: Follow Jen's thing. It's going to take a little while to get fat adapted. And depending how long you've been insulin resistant, it might take longer. So just kind of know, like starting out, I'm talking about being super easy. And for me, it was like two weeks of it not being super easy. And then it was super easy.
0: It does get better. That's exactly it. It will get better if you just let your body adjust. And it's okay to adjust slowly if you need to.
1: Yeah. Oh, totally. Like just do 12. Y'all, if you are like really struggling just do 12 it's like it's that atomic habits book like yeah jen says tweak it till it's easy absolutely Mm -hmm. like the minute you're like oh my god i'm starving open your window eat Mm -hmm. eat and you're not failing you're not failing do it again this is the next like i'm gonna be doing this as long as i live
0: so it's not a race Mm -hmm. that's really good advice well emily i have enjoyed this so much thank you so much for being here yes thanks for having me at ResonateRecordings.com. Intermittent Fasting Stories listeners will receive a free offer if you mention that you heard it on the podcast.
2: I'm Shimol Yai, and I have a new podcast called The Competition. Every year, 50 high school senior girls compete in a massive scholarship competition.